The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Uh, we are in this, a series during Lent about Galatians, the gospel, freedom, and life in Christ. That's what we've been going through. Uh, during Lent, we want to strip away some of the uh, excess and get to what does it really mean? What does Christianity look like? And Galatians does that perfectly. So in chapters 1 and 2, the kind of main theme, the main themes that we've been talking about the previous couple of weeks, is that everyone is made right with God without merit, without the law, and through Christ only. Chapter 3 and 4, chapter 3 is where we're at today, uh, God talks about, or Paul talks about some examples where he kind of spells out what does it look like for a person to be made free. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he teaches uh, us about what does that look like in a Christian's life. And one of the most famous things in there is uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And so we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But today, we're in chapter 3. My in-laws have a wonderful little sanctuary in the middle of Indiana. And it is, they have a lake place, uh, a lake house, and there's, it's on this nice lake um, with all these boats and all that, and it's fun to go there. When Krista and I were dating, we met there, and it's just kind of this place where you can go and breathe. You can kind of have a place where you can just hang out with family and, and really dig into relationships. So when I was first invited to the lake place, one of the things we were going and we, we went out on the boat and we kind of grilled outside and the time came for us to leave. And we threw all our stuff in the car and then it was like, oh, my father-in-law said, hey, this is how we kind of close the lake up. And so we put the cover back on the grill and we chained up the, the chairs and the... Uh, the table, so if a big wind came, it wouldn't end up in the yard, um, and that was that. The next time we came, he said, okay, hey, Barrett, I know you like the Wave Runner, so let me teach you how to like do it and all that so I don't have to be here and say, Barrett, this is how you crank it down, and this is how you crank it up, and turn it on, and oil, and everything, and he showed me how to do that. A couple times after that, he said, Barrett, you're going to drive the boat, the big boat, and I'm like, an engine and a wheel this is good. I'm there. And he's like, and I said, hey, Gary, do you want to, you know, take it into the dock? And he said, no, you're going to do that. He's like, and if the wind kind of is going this way, you're going to have to take it in and then just kind of trust the wind. And I'm like, okay. So we did that. I, I went in and then backed out and tried to go in and then backed out and I finally got it. And he, he was kind of training me up. And then at the end of all that, uh, our in-laws, or my in-laws, gave Krista and I a key. And they said, hey, we want you guys to be able to come to the lake even when we're not here. You guys know everything, what to do, how to set everything up, and you know how to run the things and take care of it well. We've seen that. So here are the keys to the lake. I'm like, this is pretty good. It's six hours away from where I live, but we're going to go. And we went, and we had a great time. Often. I did not do the things to buy that house at all. I just showed up as the son-in-law. But access to that house was given to me because I was in the family. 
In a similar way, Paul today is talking about he's, we didn't earn salvation, but salvation was given to us because of Christ. Verse 29, uh, Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about what does it look like to be an heir of God, his heir, his son, or his daughter. And we're going to we have three things we're talking about. One, what is the promise? Paul mentions a promise that was given to Abraham. We're going to talk about that. Two, what is the law? And three, how do I become an heir? So first... We've got this lovely whiteboard. I talked about this. This, if you haven't seen it, welcome. This is the story of God, and it can be explained in 10 minutes, the entire thing. Um, if you want to listen to that sermon, it is uh, our last, it's like in January somewhere. It's in the Multiply series. Go on the website. There's a lot of great stuff there. It's from Acts 28. But this is the story, really fast, not even 10 minutes. In the beginning, God made everything. A couple chapters later, Adam and Eve sinned, and sin came into the world. So things went from good to immediately going to not bad, but, but not so good. All of the Old Testament comes together and points to Christ, who came in a manger, died on the cross for our sins, rose on Easter morning, and he wears the crown of life. And then he set on fire the church and everything that happens after that. We live in this area between the resurrection and the last day points back to Jesus. And eventually, someday, he will come back to judge the world and make everything good again. Abraham was given a promise. And Abraham's promise uh, is pretty close Sin happens in Genesis 3. Abraham's promise is in chapter 12. So we'll do that here. We'll say Abraham's promise. Actually, it was Abram at the time. Abram's promise. And this was Abraham's promise. Or Abram, Abraham. I'm going to use them interchangeably. Paul referenced it, but this is the verse. It's on the big Bible. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Leave your family, your country, and your father's house to a place I will show you. What that meant was leave your identity. I'm Abram, son of this guy, son of this guy. Leave your security. In that day, it wasn't the military came in and protected you. It was your family protected you. Leave your identity. Leave your security. And leave your meaning. I'm a part of these people. This is what we do. This is all we know. So he said, leave your country, your kindred, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if you know the story of Abram, or Abraham, um, there was an issue here. They couldn't have kids. And they're like, uh, okay, thank you for the promise. How are you going to figure this out? 
So God intervenes and he gives them a way. He allows them to have children. And so Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And one of Jacob's descendants was Joseph, if you remember the stories. These people are called the patriarch and the promise that I'm going to make you a great nation, you're going to be a blessing, and you're going to bless the world, follows these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So when we get to Joseph, though, he gets kind of, he gets the raw end of the deal. His brothers sell him out, and they kind of leave him for dead, and, and Joseph ends up wandering away from his country, his kindred, and his purpose. And they go back and tell their dad, hey, well, somebody got him. Don't worry about it. He's dead. God has, he intervenes again. All throughout this story, God is intervening. And what God does in this story is he's, he takes Joseph and through a series of circumstances that some looked really great and some looked really, really terrible, he puts Joseph as second in command of Egypt, who's in charge of all the storehouses, all this grain and all of this sustenance. And in the most ironic way possible, his brothers come marching up and they say, uh, we need it. We need some of your grain. We want to live. And he knows, but they don't recognize him. And Joseph puts them through a series of tests and kind of trials. And eventually, the bow at the end of the story is his whole family moves to Egypt. Well, the Pharaoh dies. They forget about Joseph and what a blessing he has been to Egypt. And, you know, that promise, it starts happening. They start multiplying and growing. And God is blessing these dispossessed Israelite people in the land of Egypt. And eventually, they become slaves. The Egyptians are like, this is out of control. We need to control this group of people who at any time could like rise up and overthrow us. So they enslave God's people. And for 430 years, God's people are enslaved. And you've got to wonder, at, at some point, did they start forgetting about the promise? Hey, I was, you were going to bless me, and then we were going to bless the world. What happened there? We're going to put a line up there. This is 430 years. And God's people start calling out. They do the uh, Justin Bieber thing, where are you now that I need you? And you can find that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 23. It's not up there, but I'll just read it for you. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant other words, his promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says that, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and he knew. And if you guys know the story of the Exodus, which is what this is, God sent Moses 
another person, kind of in a unique circumstance, to deliver his people from slavery. And throughout all the plagues and all of this Red Sea splitting, God delivered his people. And they wandered for 40 years. And you got to think, were they asking the question, what does it look like for us? How do we become a blessing, a promise? And what does God do? He gives them the law. Other ways to define the law, because law kind of sounds like, oh, this is a box of rules for you to live in. Uh, You have to do this, or else you'll get pulled over in a speeding ticket. Maybe your law looks different. But what God was doing, uh, the law or the Torah was their instruction. It was a way of life for these Israelite people. Remember, they'd been enslaved for 40 or 430 years. They were out of slavery, but slavery was still in their minds and in their hearts. So God had to retrain them to remember, what does it look like to be in a relationship with God? And then what does it look like for us to be in a relationship with our neighbors? So God gave them the law that he would reorient their hearts towards him and reorient their hearts towards one another. That was the big purpose for giving the law. And there was a bunch of laws that he gave. But it was all out of, hey, I brought you out of slavery. I want you to remember what it looks like to be in the family. So here are some of my favorite laws. There's about 613. We're going to talk about a handful. He said, remember when you were in Egypt making bricks seven days a week? Let's think about this. You're enslaved in Egypt. Monday, bricks. Tuesday, bricks. Wednesday, bricks. Thursday, bricks. Friday, bricks. Saturday, bricks. Sunday, bricks. Start it over again. Bricks, 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 bricks. He said, well, that's rough. I want you to have a day off. And then he reminds them of the story back here in Genesis. He says, I created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, I rested, and I enjoyed. It's like, I want you to take a day off, too. And then just following that same thing, it's like, hey, when you harvest, when it's harvest time, I want you to bring me some of what I gave you. There's Hebrew people called this the Feast of Weeks. They came and brought offerings to God of what he'd already given them through their crops, and then they had a big party. Sounds pretty good. Also, right after that, it says, hey, don't cut your crops to the edges of the fields. Don't use all of your crop space, because there's going to be people that are wandering, kind of like you've been wandering. So leave a little bit of margin there. There's going to be a traveler or an immigrant or a sojourner. So leave a little bit of margin in your life so that when those people come in, you can give to them. Kind of like what y'all did last week with the person who needed the rent money. Thank you. And then the most famous thing he gave them was the the Ten Words, also known as the Ten Commandments. He's like, hey, I brought you out of Egypt, y'all. You need to recognize that, that I'm your God, and you really shouldn't have any other gods. My name is powerful, and so don't misuse my name. He's like, that thing about taking the day off, I was serious. I want you to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy for our relationship and for your relationship so that you don't don't fall into that trap of slavery again. He's like, 
here's how we're going to orient our communal relationship. Honor your father and mother. That's pretty good. Uh, don't kill each other. Don't sleep with someone else's wife or husband. It's like God's stuff is pretty basic. Uh, don't steal from your neighbor. Don't lie about your neighbor or slander them or tweet about them or just kind of push them down in the mud, even if they're crazy, like some of our candidates. Um, don't do it. Oh, yeah, and don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Be okay with what you have. And he did all of this because he's like, I want to be a blessing to you, and I want you to bless other people. So this law, he was retraining his people after 430 years of slavery. And you're like, okay, Barrett, we are in Galatians 3, and you are giving us the Old Testament. Can you switch gears here and go back? Well, like we said, all of the Old Testament points to the climax, points to Jesus. We'll go back there. Thursday night, uh, we had a small group at our house, and it was a blast because it was the biggest one we'd ever had, so we were kind of like, oh, there's a fun little energy in the room. And someone was there that was new, and they were a teacher. They were a third-grade teacher. And so we're like, oh, what what kind of get-to-know-you thing should we do? And so I was like, hey, why don't we all go around the room, say where we lived when we were in third grade, Uh, what, yeah, what's your name, where were you in third grade, and then what's your best memory of third grade? And I was like, whew. We had some people that were like, I don't remember anything from two weeks ago because that is, I don't have a spot in my brain for that. And then we had people that were like, well, we had this, this is the teacher's name, this is who I sat by, and this is what I learned, and this was the schedule of our day. I was somewhere in the middle, but I do remember certain things about third grade. I, I, my reading skills really went higher. Mrs. Ruley would help me uh, to read. Mrs. Ruley also taught me about math. I don't know, what is the third grade level at? Are they doing like multiplication? Yes? Boom, I failed it. What a teacher does, and what we kind of remembered was We might not remember all of the little things that go along with being in third grade, but I know that I read every day. And Mrs. Ruley isn't standing over me being like, "Uh, it's not Galatians, it's Galatians, Barrett. She doesn't do that. Or when I multiply, okay, I need a dozen eggs, but I need four dozen. She's not standing over my shoulder going four times 12 is 48. I just know. In this text, in Galatians 3, um, Paul kind of references the law as a teacher. Verse 24 says, So then, the law... Well, I'll start in 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Faith is faith in Jesus. Before that, we were held captive under the law. Verse 24 says, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. And in Paul's day, the word for guardian was like a schoolmaster or a tutor or a, what was the other one? I had a prof that said a child conductor, and I was like, that makes no sense. We don't have child conductors. We don't have conductors, and they're not conducting children, so we don't have that. But the idea is it's a temporary person who lives very closely with your kids, teaching them the way to live, how to live. 
And at some point, that teacher will go away, and you're stuck with, I know how to read, and I can do math. And the law of the Lord is written into us. The people of Israel needed a guardian. They needed to be retrained because they were enslaved for 430 years. They needed to be reoriented towards their God and towards their neighbors. And they needed to be reminded. They were people of a promise, and they needed to be reminded that they were created to be blessed and to bless other people. And that God was going to make them into a great, great nation. The law also does a couple of other things. We've got students going through confirmation right now where we kind of do an info dump on their heads and then a heart dump to see, hey, this is how we live together. And if you, if you went through confirmation when you were younger, or if you're looking forward to that, um, you might remember some of these things. The law is a curb. It kind of, if you're driving on a road, the curb kind of keeps you in lines. The law is a guide. It's like, hey, it's the big retraining thing. This is how we do things. You forgot, so we're going to retrain you how to do it. But the law is also a mirror. And what do you do with a mirror? You hold it up to your face. Or now it's probably one of those, like, oh, I just turned the camera backwards, and I can see myself on the camera. But the mirror has a couple of things that it does for us. One, it shows you how you actually look. Some of you might know the SOS, SOS, part from confirmation. And that's the law. Looking in that mirror shows you your sin. Paul gives us the option. He says, um, you can either live by the law or you can live by the gospel. The law is going to hold you captive. But if you want to, go for it. Like, try it out. Um, and people do this. They try to say, I'm going to live under the law. And they say, well, you know what? Well, well, I'm a good person. I do great stuff. Uh, I didn't murder anyone, sleep with anyone, lie to anyone, yada, 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 yada. But somewhere in that mirror, you're going to see that that law, that instruction, that way of life demands perfection, that it just demands perfection. And so we're held captive by that law. But the law also does one thing. It shows us our sin, but it also shows us that we need someone to free us from the captivity. So it shows us that we have a need for a Savior. I was at Concordia on Thursday or Friday. Yeah, whoosh. Uh, was it Thursday or Friday? The speaker? Friday. I was at Concordia on Friday. There was a speaker who is an apologist, um, and what that means is they explain the deep things of Christianity in a very clear and concise way, and they're usually British, so it sounds that much more intelligent. <laughs> and this speaker, after about 30 minutes of talking, said something, and I was like, oh, that is beautiful. And he said this, true love exists in the presence of judgment not in the absence of judgment. I'll say that again. True love exists in the presence of judgment. When I can look into that mirror and say, I don't equal up. Not in the absence of judgment. If you're married, you probably know this. The first date was 
was awesome. Or maybe it wasn't, and then you just kind of like endured. But the first date, you are looking sharp. The guy is smelling good, has put on pants that don't have holes in them. Uh, maybe a button-up shirt even. The car might look a little nicer. You go to the, uh, you go to the nice restaurant. That's what the first date looks like. You're like, ah, I am the best. I've got this. I'm ready for this date. I'm ready to go. But when you're married, sometimes that might happen. But oftentimes you can kind of see you know the faults of that person. You know, well, they're not... They don't do the same stuff that they used to do. But true love exists when you still choose to love that person because of their faults. I haven't been, I don't have any children, but I've been told that when you have children, the whole game changes. And that child doesn't always measure up to how you'd like them to be. I remember being told, uh, I love you, Barrett, but I don't like you right now. <laughs> I was like, well, that's, and kind of seeing it now, I was like, I probably deserve that. <laughs> but there's that true love that exists even in the face of judgment that you just can't get rid of it. And so when you look into that mirror that holds you captive, that demands perfection, that just shows you all of your sins and shows you you need a Savior what looks back at you is Jesus saying, I love you so much. And I love you means something different when your sins, your faults, your, your deviance, your whatever it is that you really don't want me to mention right now because it gets you in your gut. When God says, I love you, even because of that, it means something completely different. Verse 25, but now faith has come and we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So our final thing, how do I become an heir? I want to be a son of God. I live somewhere in this realm. And how, do I be, how does this become true for me right here? Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. have put on Christ. It's like putting on a coat of Jesus. So for us, baptism is our assurance of him. When he could have judged you in the mirror, he said, no, you're wearing me. Or maybe this one, when you could have judged yourself, or when you do try to judge yourself, you've got his coat on, and he says, no. He looks at you and says, yes, this one is mine. They've been baptized into my name, and they wear my name on them. That's why it points back to Jesus. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on this next verse because it's confusing. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For all, for you all, for you are all, whew, one in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of ink that's spilled on this because it's like, well, does Paul mean there's no distinctions anymore? 
You're like, well, later on it kind of seems like he doesn't mean that. But the question he's answering here is, is related to the context that he's in. There were Pharisees during that day that, that used the law as a weapon. They weaponized the law, the instruction, the way of life that God set before his people. And they held people captive. They pushed people down because the Pharisees did the law better. And because you didn't, you're less. And there was this prayer that is awful, but they got up and they said, and the Pharisee prayer would go like this, Heavenly Father, thank you for not making me a Greek, a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. Thank you for not making me a slave. And thank you for not making me a female. That was the Pharisee prayer of the day. And so what Paul's doing here is like, don't wrap your identity up in being under the law. When you're baptized into Christ, we're going to peel back everything that's been holding you down, all that captivity. And he says, anyone that's baptized into Christ is a son or a daughter. The Father looks at you and sees you wrapped in his son, Jesus. So therefore, we've got verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All of this, this promise, it all comes down to this man, Jesus. That promise is true for the world, a blessing to everyone, to all nations, because of Jesus. And you are an heir to this promise and to everything that he offers you because of him. That's why everything points back to Jesus, and everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. If you are in Christ, then you wear his name. You are sons and daughters of Christ. And you all get the same benefits of being connected to his throne. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that is hard for us to hear sometimes. We often think we need to do more and more and more to earn some sort of standing with you. But you say no. You say, be baptized into my name. Become an heir. You're a son or a daughter of the king. And so we thank you so much for sending your son to make that possible for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.